Happy New Year's listeners, we're diving into season five starting right now. Hello and welcome to Talk Bookish to Me, the podcast where readers gather to talk about books, share recommendations, and chase that five-star feeling. I'm your host, Gwen, and today I have the absolute honor to be joined by Lauren, the confetti bombing book club queen from the Red Rovers Book Club, to go over our best and worst books of 2023. A very bookish hello, everyone. My name is Lauren, and I'm the founder of the Red Rovers Book Club, owner of the bookish shop, Red Rover Co., and the reason bookworms across the world are suffering from clogged vacuums. You can follow me on Instagram at the Red Rovers Book Club and find out what all of this confetti talk is all about. (laughs) I feel like you are such a bright light in this community. And the more that like people get to know you, the more I have gotten to know you, the more depth that they find out about you. And it's just crazy. Like, it's just crazy, like how positive and uplifting you are for others because of things that have happened in your life. So if you want to get to know an absolute bright light in the community, highly recommend you follow Lauren. You don't necessarily have to join her book club, but I highly recommend Um, And yeah, I'm going to have to have you back to like talk all things book club at some point too, because I do want to do a separate episode just about book clubs and how people came up with the idea, why, when, how, you know, some charge, some do not charge, like all the things. And I feel like you have a very fun story to tell. So I'll have to have you back at some point for that episode. But Let me take a moment to welcome my new listeners to the podcast. It's going to be an amazing year. I have so many fun episodes and guests lined up. If you follow the podcast on Instagram, you'll get the most up-to-date information on the schedule, book discussions. So definitely give me a follow at Talk Bookish Podcast. And if you feel so inclined to support the podcast further, you can always check me out on Patreon for bonus podcast episodes and other fun events and live streams. So before we jump into like, what are our best and what are our worst books of the year? I like to start with a few stats um, from our reading year to give the listeners an idea of like how we did and what information we're pulling from for our best and worst. Technically, as of this recording, it's still 2023 for us. So although I'm like, happy new years. Yeah, it's not the new year for us yet. Almost. (laughs) Um, So we're recording a few days early um, before we close out our reading year and we start all over again. So do you always feel that fresh start like 2023 is over now it's time for 2024 do you feel that like fresh start at the end beginning of the new year and the end and stuff totally and we have four days left of this year and I'm the countdown is on I'm trying to get all those books in but it's not going to happen and that's okay (laughs) like it's okay maybe in 2024 I had a very clear favorite this year And if you're a loyal listener and follower, you definitely already know my answer. And if you don't, I don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) But I'm curious to see what's going to make your list, Lauren, because you're not on BookTube. Most of the people that I have had on the podcast, not all, but most are BookTubers. They're my friends, you know, like, I don't know if you would call them my coworkers, because, you know, I'm on YouTube, but you're not. I found you strictly on Instagram and then through your book club. And so I know that you read vastly different. I feel like there's pockets of bookish communities. And I feel like booktube, we tend to kind of sort of read the same books and like, you know, talk about the same books. I'm like, let me switch it up this year, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. But I just feel like also we just have really different reading tastes. So I was like, this is the perfect person 
you know, because this is one of my most listened to episodes of the whole year. And so I was really excited to have you on. For reference, we're recording this on December 27th. So like Lauren said, we have a few more days, we're trying to cram in a few more books. Who knows if any favorites will come out of that. If they do, we'll let you know in 2024. But for starters, how many books have you read so far this year? 97. Ooh, that's amazing. So are you trying to hit 100, though? Okay, so I set my goal as one book every year because, hello, I'm going to read more than that. <laughs> but yes, yeah. it's, it's 100, but I'm short, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, you're like, well, technically I've hit my goal. So if I hit 100, that's just amazing. So close. <laughs> yeah, so I have read 204. And a lot of people are shocked with this number. But this is my full-time job. I have no other job than this. <laughs> Reading, podcasting, YouTube is is my job. Do you know your average star rating? 3.14. Yeah, mine was 3.3, which I thought seemed low. Very Does low. that seem low to you? Super I low. mean, yours is lower too. <laughs> oh my gosh. So did we not have a good reading year? <laughs> Honestly, Gwen, it was um, rough. <laughs> so, super rough. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I did this thing this year where I talked about my seasonal favorites. So I'd break it down and do like December, January, February for my winter favorites. And then I do my spring favorites and then my fall. And you know, I just did my fall favorites and I had like five books that were good out of three months. And I was like, wow, slim pickings over here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway, it does. I think I usually have a higher star rating. I would have to go back and look, but that seems except like especially low this year. It, it was. So I'm hoping to bump it up next year. Yes. All right. What is your top genre? Okay. So I don't really track my genres because I read so broadly, but I'm really excited to share that historically I've never been a romance girly ever. I would always eye roll and one star romance books, but this year I read 11 romance books and I rated them three to five stars and I was in my romance era. I love that for you because it's hard to get into a new genre sometimes. Yes. You have to find the gateway one, you know? So mm. what was your gateway romance this year? Honestly, it was Ashley Poston, which I know we're going to talk about, but oh my gosh, it was amazing. Yes, your book. Yes, the book. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh my gosh, that makes me excited. Okay, so for me, no shocker. It was thrillers. I read 45 thrillers this year, but separately I have 15 marked as mystery. So if you want to include mystery thriller, we'll go with 60. Um, my next one would be romance. I read 27. Horror, I read 28. Graphic novels, I read 26. And contemporary, I read 23. Um, what about rereads? Do you reread often and did you have any rereads this year? Yes, and I realized I need to stop rereading books because it's been taking the magic out of five-star fiction for me. Um, I reread Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller every single summer, and I DNF'd my fourth reread this past August, um, and I stuck my own foot in my mouth by agreeing to host a buddy read of Demon Copperhead, which was a top book of last year for me, and I am hating my reread. Oh, that is rough. <laughs> mm -hmm. That is rough. Yes. I mean... <laughs> I, I mean, I guess that proves that if you read a book at the right time, it just hits different. Mm -hmm. um, I usually reread a book. My first read of the new year is always a reread. <sighs> so I reread It Ends With Us by Colleen Hoover. And I loved it. 
I've read, it's like my third or fourth reread. Um, and then I also reread Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zivin because it's so amazing. So not for everybody, but for me, totally amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have found that my friend Keisha, she, her favorite book, like one of her books that stands out in her mind is like one of her favorites is the Literary Potato Peel Pie Society book. That is the cutest name ever. <laughs> what? So it's, it's this historical fiction, which I'm not usually drawn to, but she's like, it's short. So I was like, anybody can get through a short book. But she's like, it, it's just like my favorite ever. You have to read it. So she reread it and I read it for the first time. Both of us did not like it. Oh, <laughs> that is shocking. She's like, she's like, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to leave it a five star and just move on about my business. Oh my god! I was like, girl, you do you. But yeah, it was not good. I was like, what? That's rough. So, but I do pick a favorite. I have a couple that I reread. Um, but yeah, I do like to do a reread every once in a while. But I don't feel like I give myself enough opportunity to reread. Because I'm always like, I got so many books on my TBR. So yeah. <laughs> All right. What about DNFs? Do you track your DNFs? And if so, how many do you have? I do not, but it would probably be in the dozens. Life is too short to force yourself through a book that you are not vibing with, baby. No. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 100% agree. I don't understand every time I talk about DNFing books, someone comments or sends me a message and is like, you spent your hard-earned money on the book. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, first of all, it was my money so I can do what I want. Like... But secondly, I'm I'm with you. I'm like, am I going to spend $25, $30 on a book and then hate it the whole time through and waste my life away? Exactly. No. My life? I would rather the throw the $30 away and like get on with my life. Um, but that's funny you don't track them. So how do you DNF? Are you like a permanent DNFer or are you like reading a book and you're like, mm, I'm not feeling this, set it aside? I'll do both I guess um I, now that you bring this up I am going to start tracking my DNFs and I will let you know how next year goes <laughs> oh I'm so excited yes. because I made a little shelf on Goodreads that <laughs> you know you can have like you can only have a book on like uh currently reading want to read or read um, but you can add a shelf and it will be so I track my DNFs that way so I just move it to the DNF DNF shelf and I'll say like what chapter why whatever basically because it's trash but you know um, <laughs> to each their own <laughs> yeah. but this year I actually kind of sucked at tracking my DNFs and that's because like if I don't get far enough into it that I don't even put it on Goodreads I'm not going to log in just to say I DNF'd I just move on but if yeah. I have already started it I'm a little bit into it I will like move it to my DNF shelf so I have six marked as DNF and that's low for me usually I'm with you I'm in the dozens (laughs) you know I'm not liking it but maybe that means I'm getting better at picking good books I don't know yes that's what it means (laughs) (laughs) we'll go with that um looking back at my low star rating maybe not you know um are there any other stats that you wish to share before jumping into our best and worst now I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay. It's time for the ranking, starting with the worst books that we read this year. And by worst, it can mean lowest rated or a book you had really high hopes for that ultimately let you down. I also want to remind everyone, these are our personal opinions. And these 
books didn't work for us, but they might work for you. So like, listen to what we're saying. Why did we not like these books? Because maybe something I don't like you actually love, like who knows, you know, we all have different tastes and that's okay. So we'll start with your list starting at so we're, we did five, we're doing a top five worst top five best. We'll start with number five, and then we'll kind of work up to our worst of the worst. So number five is The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese. Um, things that I love, number one, a family saga. I love getting swept away in multi-general fiction. I love chunky books. I love thick books. I cannot lie. And while The Covenant of Water met two of these prerequisites, it was essentially a medical almanac. Like, we get it. The author is a doctor, but geez louise, this book was extremely long-winded and it follows Bigamachi through her remarkable life. Um, she is forced to leave the home and marry at a very young age into a family with what is believed to be a curse, which is death by drowning in each generation. And the story follows her through childbirth, through tragedy, and everything in between. But Gwen, speaking of tragedy, I must warn you that this book has a high page count and a high body count, and I simply do not have enough phalanges to tally up all of the characters that were killed in the 726 pages. <laughs> um, every single chapter was riddled with tragedy, but I felt zero emotional connection. That's terrible. Okay. That's the worst. <laughs> that is the worst when it's like you have all of these bodies piling up and you're like, but I really don't care. <laughs> So you know it's bad. <laughs> That's how I felt. Totally. <laughs> I, I saw you reading this. I saw you reading this on Instagram. And I was like, wow, she's really tackling it, man. And now it's yeah. all the worst. <laughs> now it's all, it was an Oprah's book club pick. Yeah. And it was not good. No. <laughs> Number four is The Five Star Weekend by Ellen Hildebrand. <gasps> My favorite summer pastime is taking a summer reading vacation with Hildebrand's annual new releases. And the Five Star Weekend is the second to the last book before her official retirement. And while it saddens me, it makes me all the more excited to cherish her final work. This novel follows an iconic food blogger named Hollis Shaw, who was reeling in the aftermath of her husband's sudden death and nursing a broken heart and feeling the wrath of blame from her young adult daughter, who is super, super annoying. Hollis decides to organize a five-star weekend, and the concept was fab. Tons of women from each stage of her life to host a Nantucket-licious weekend doing all of the things. Um, but her obsession over her followers, her likes, and social media were so cringe. There was a plethora of cancel culture and very uncomfortable, bizarre, cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater plot. It had me cringing the whole time. The island vibes were lacking, uh, but the food descriptions were dynamite. Okay, first of all, I didn't know that she's going to be retiring soon. Yes! This year, this coming June is going to be her final book. And I don't know if I'm going to read That's it. That's crazy. I mean, it's going to be her 30th. Is that is that what it was? Like, this is her 29th, and then it'll be her 30th book, and then she's retiring. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting, but it kind of stinks that this one was a stinker. <laughs> Big time. <laughs> Everything you pointed out about, you know, the social media thing, and then, like, the annoying daughter, and the cheating and like no thank you number three was the girls of summer by katie bishop and i received an arc of this from the publisher and the cover was dazzling and there were promises of an atmospheric and deliciously twisted plot but that was not the case at all <laughs> it was told in dual timelines and the protagonist rachel is caught in an obsessive rut 
gut-wrenchingly, painstakingly yearning for her adult days in summer of love abroad a Greek island, feeling trapped in her current marriage and the expectations that come along with being a wife. I felt as though this book was so bland and it just consisted of Rachel over-romanticizing the events of her younger days, the summer that consisted of sun, drunkenness, high on youth, and all-consuming love. And the majority of the book alludes to an event that occurred during her time on the island, but the big reveal is just another Me Too plot that I feel is just so overdone in fiction. All right, I want to warn you guys. She's got some heavy hitters coming up. As if as if you haven't already. But I'm saying these are some heavy hitters, y'all. And I'm living for it. I'm living for it. I'm sweating because, like, I know people are going to come after me for the next two. <laughs> but you know what I was when you sent in your books to me I was like you know what this because I have heard nothing but glowing reviews about these next two books and I know I'm you know sometimes you search for the bad reviews just to set your own expectations um because one of these I have on my TBR but I just have never picked it up because I'm like if I go in with these high 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 expectations Mm -hmm. I'm gonna be let down because I know it's not gonna be a perfect book because I'm gonna be looking for things you know I'm gonna be like no something is wrong with it so I feel like hearing these not so glowing reviews (laughs) I'm gonna have expectations set (laughs) but I do think it's hard when you hear nothing but glowing reviews so so Lauren's gonna bring it home with these next two (laughs) y'all Okay, number two is Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. After Napolitano's debut, Dear Edward, that rocked my bookish world in 2020, I was trembling with excitement to read Anne's newest book. I am a sucker for a good family drama, and on paper, Hello Beautiful sounds like a guaranteed five-star read for me, and what occurred in pages one through 70 of this book were all good signs pointing to bookish nirvana, However, on pages 71 through 383, it consisted of such incredibly unforgivable acts of betrayal, like Jerry Springer on steroids and readers are just supposed to be okay with it. This book was so messy. It did not sit well with me. And my biggest gripe is that I cannot talk about spoilers and no one on Booksta is talking about the big upset and it's just so weird to me. Hello, beautiful. Goodbye, ugly. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I mean, this was so popular. Was this another um, Oprah's Book Club pick? I think it might have been. I think. (laughs) Is this on your TBR? I feel like it was, but I could be wrong. But uh, this is the one I have on my TBR. And I'm really worried. I'm like, maybe, maybe just skip it. So I didn't know until after I read it that it's a modern retelling of Little Women, which I'm not familiar with. So just read it and see what you think and let me know. But it's messy. Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm going to come in and say, I didn't really like Little Women. Oh. So (laughs) there is an unpopular opinion for you. Like I I know there are some classic readers that are gasping and clutching their pearls, but I just didn't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe it's not. For, I, I didn't know that either. So that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, Gwen, I'm really nervous for number one. Like, <laughs> let's just take a deep breath. <sighs> we can do let's, this. <laughs> let's all aboard our dragons as Lauren talks about number one most hated book, Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros. <laughs> do you hear that? Mm. 
It's the sound of the fourth wing stands rioting in the streets, and they're upset for me professing my disdain for Bookstagram's best book of the year. <laughs> the Rovers read Fourth Wing as our June 2023 book, and honestly, it was about like 50-50 when it came to opinions, which was a huge relief to me because I'm not a fantasy girly, and I gave into books to hype, and I did it this time, and I ended up loathing this book. I was so thrilled to have a reason to read Fourth Wing and see what all the hype was about, but my thoughts is that Fourth Wing felt so immature and it felt like Hunger Games, but like not, and the dialogue was so cringe. Um, it was literally a bunch of young adults trash talking each other, and it was just really lame to me, and I'm sorry. Uh, the ending was the most enjoyable part, but not because of the big reveal or cliffhanger, it's because it was the end <laughs> i have no desire at all no desire to read this one because i'm also not a fantasy girly but when i heard it compared to hunger games but like not that's what everybody says it's kind of like hunger games but like not i feel like it's um trying to be that dystopian ya that was so popular you know yeah i think every book at in ya at one time was like dystopian which i love those but with the cringy, and then she rushed book two, mm -hmm. is what I've heard. Mm -hmm. And I heard people that even love people that loved Fourth Wing were like, the second book was a big flop. Yeah. So I'm like, mm -mm. no. Mm -hmm. And you know, I know a lot of people say, well, you don't have to love fantasy; it's completely different. So if you want to dabble in something new, like give it a try, but don't have high expectations. I'd say because my expectations were very high, and that was not good. I'm <laughs> saying you can't get more fantasy than dragons, you know. <laughs> <laughs> literally so mm, I don't know about that one um but like I said you know I feel like when you hear all the glowing reviews you know so I'm glad that you had some stories to tell about these two for me yes all right jumping into mine I had nine one star books this year nine of them so I had no problem picking some crappy books to talk about. So, and if I rate a book one star, it straight up means I just did not like it. Um, there's no like varying degrees. One star means I did not like this book. Um, but I do have some pretty popular titles on this list. So bear with me. Number five is Stay True by Washu. And this is both a memoir of the writer's life as a young Asian American man and a memorial for his friend Ken who was murdered while they were in college. So I ended up picking this for my Patreon book club because I was looking online for some really good memoirs. I love reading memoirs and I liked, you know, the Asian representation and it was marked as one of the best memoirs of 2022 and it was short. So I was like, okay, this is the one. Let me explain my absolute confusion and dislike for this memoir. Now, I'm going to say like, maybe I wasn't the intended audience for this one. Like I found it dull, lacking any entertainment at all. Because despite if it's a memoir or not, I still want to be entertained. You know what I'm saying? And I was not. It also had um, some photographs in it that did not match the story at all. They were like picture, like here you have this story and it's like a picture of 7-Eleven. How does it relate to the story? Like, I'm confused. Um, 
basically, it just felt like a slice of life story of his college days, including the death of his friend, Ken. But as you mentioned, I wasn't particularly empathetic because I wasn't invested in the people. And it honestly didn't feel like Washu was either. It didn't feel like he was that close with Ken. And it was like, okay, am I just not understanding their connection? Did he not write it well? Like maybe he didn't make it clear to me. Is there a cultural divide that I'm just not clicking with? It was just definitely not what I was expecting going into the book. And then it was set in the 90s. So I was hoping like, oh, maybe the 90s will like pull me in. Nope, even that lacked. And this was pretty much the general consensus of everybody that read it. There wasn't one person that was like, oh, new fave. Like everybody was like, why is he talking about the death of his like best friend that you don't even feel like is his best friend? And it was just like, so bizarre, like, do I care that his friend died? Like, I'm sad for him, but like, not really, because was he sad? I don't know. It was, it was something else. Um, Moving on to another male-centered book. Maybe this is why I shouldn't read books about boys. <laughs> um, So the next one, number four, is The Fortunate Ones by Ed Tarkington. And this is a story of class, love, and loyalty. And again, I went in with different expectations. I don't know why. But I thought it was going to be more of a school setting. But honestly, it was just a boy's coming of age story. And like, ooh, who cares about that? Not me. Um, it was also quite political, which I wasn't expecting. And then the author, Tarkington, had trouble slowing down to flesh out the upper class world hubris and detail. Um, with frequent time gaps between chapters that span weeks and even years. So it was like the timeline was off. And um, there was like this decade long stay in Mexico before returning to Nashville. And I was like, what was the point of that? And it can feel like it's reflecting on the elite society's pregnant pace, making characters, events and settings blur together. I guess like I'm stretching here trying to guess what he was going for, but it just didn't work for me. Um, I went in expecting a dark academia book. So as you can see, my expectations were not met. All right, number three, I know you read this for the your book club this year. Number three, The London Seance Society by Sarah Penner. The cover and the synopsis intrigued me. And then my in-person book club chose it for the month of May. And I went in with hopeful expectations. I did not read The Lost Apothecary by this author. Um, so I went in like fresh, like no expectations. People, I've heard rave reviews about The Lost Apothecary. Um, but this one, I was like, okay, it's awesome. Let, let, let's do this. But where was the seance? Okay. <laughs> like where, where was it? I mean, okay. To be fair, there was like one whole seance in the whole book, but it didn't even feel like it was happening because at the same time, all the elements of the whodunit were being revealed, even though it was so obvious from the start what happened and who the villain was. I was thinking this was going to be about a pair of women working in the secret in London's underbelly, performing seances to solve murders. That's what the synopsis said. But that is not what was delivered. The story felt forced and weirdly crafted. There was really slow progression through the plot, very little character development, and I just found it so bland. 
But I just remember turning on the audiobook and like zoning out just to get through it and like dusting a shelf in my bedroom. <laughs> like it was so bad. Um, I just would have expected so much more environment building in a book set in the 1870s. But even then, I like could not conjure up a mental image of like one single scene. Like I have no idea what people looked like. I have no idea what any of this looked like. What like what does London look like in 1870? I have no idea. Um, and I wasn't invested in the mystery or the characters. I wanted to abandon this after 50 pages. But I pushed through for my book club hoping that it would get better. Alas, it did not. <laughs> I love this. I love this so much. Okay. First of all, um, you have to read The Lost Apothecary. Totally different. That book, yes, that was the first Chase of Sarah, of course, and it was amazing. Um, A lot of the rovers agreed with what you're saying. So I I loved London Seance, um, but I also read it when I had a high fever. So like that maybe. (laughs) The fever dream aspect. Literally, I saw London, the seance, all of it in my head. (laughs) Oh Um, my goodness, yeah. Number two is Rouge by Mona Awad. I don't have a good track record with this author, so I should have known. Like when my book club picked it, I was kind of low-key pissed. But again... (laughs) I will push through for the sake of the book club. And I ended up not vibing with it. Shocker. Mm. Um, I haven't had the best track record, but this is the third book I've read by her. I read Bunny. I read 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl. And then I've read Rouge. So two of them have been one star. I gave 13 Ways of Looking at a Fat Girl like three stars or something. But it's really probably like a two. Somehow, though, I keep hoping her stories will click. And I'll understand what she's trying to say. (laughs) But as it stands right now, I don't get it. (laughs) Like, I really do not understand what is happening on the page. Like, I'm like, is this English? I don't understand. So I don't enjoy it or have a fun time reading it because I'm confused the whole time. I'm trying to understand. She says mirror. And I'm like, is she saying bed? Is Is she really meaning bed? What what's happening? <laughs> like I literally do not understand the words on the page. So in this one, there's a main character who is obsessed with I should say this one first, Tom Cruise and skincare. I was gonna say skincare and Tom Cruise, but I think she's more obsessed with Tom Cruise. Which we get it. She's obsessed with Tom Cruise. <laughs> Maybe I should try to wheel in and say Tom Cruise as much as she said it in the book. Like it is just bizarre to me. Like, number one, why someone could be obsessed with him. And number two, talk about it so much. And then she has a dead mother who had a strange, she had a strange relationship with and was also possibly obsessed with skincare. But everything else felt like a fever dream. Literally everything else. Um, The events that took place didn't make sense. The transitions between different scenes didn't make sense. I basically hate read this book. And I am completely okay to admit that I am too dumb to understand it. (laughs) Like, I'm just putting it out there. I don't get it. I went to book club and one of my friends in book club explained the book to all of us because none of us got it. And she was saying things that I was like, did we read literally? Like, let me double check. Show me the book you read because I want to make sure we read the same book. 
because she was pulling out all these, oh yeah, she was talking about this. And I'm like, she did? What does that mean? How did we get here? So I literally just, I think she's a very brilliant writer. She's so above my pay grade that I don't understand it. Like it's that type of, it's that type of book. I feel, I literally do feel dumb when I read her books. Too much symbolism, too much. I can't. I have to tell you. So I think it was last year, Elizabeth, Ponytails and Paperbacks, she sent me a copy of Bunny and um, I didn't understand it. None of it made sense, like you said. And then she explained it to me and I'm too dumb to understand Mona Awad. That's it. <laughs> Same thing happened with me. I was so, I, and see, and, and Bunny was a little bit different because I literally thought I understood what happened. I was like, oh, I get it. Like, I, there was no question. I understood the story, right? But then people were like, oh, what did you think about X? And I was like, what? No. That didn't happen. <laughs> and they're like, no, when such and such happened. And I'm like, that didn't happen. And they're like, Gwen, tell me what you read. <laughs> and I'm trying to explain to them and they're like, that is not what happened. And I'm like, it didn't? Oh. <laughs> so I so again, I thought I understood that one, but apparently not. So moving on. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number one worst read of the year makes my heart so sad because I love this author so much. But the number one least favorite book I read this year is Black Sheep by Rachel Harrison. And I love that Rachel Harrison is always changing things up and tackling different tropes and themes and monsters and all of that good stuff. I just really wish this book would have been more upfront with the subject matter. It left it very vague in the synopsis. Had I known what the book was about, I would have either number one, been more cautious going in or number two, skipped reading it altogether. Um, I think this story relies on the shock factor and outside of that, very little happens. Like this is a plotless book and you guys know I love plots and the plot that you do get is very predictable and Harrison's signature humor and cozy vibes were completely absent. I wanted to DNF this several times, but my hope was that she's setting us up for like this big twist or something. And it was going to like turn things around. But sadly, that did not happen. And it's my least favorite book by this author. But with that being said, I've been hearing rumors that her next book is about vampires. And I'm 100% intrigued and I'm going to buy that book. So <laughs> I mean, you know, she didn't totally turn me off. But this book was a big ick for me. Oh, mm -mm. no! I do have a question. Cozy vibes in a horror story? Like what? I know you'd have to read her to okay. understand. You really do. But because I said the same thing, I was like, what? But okay, so my favorite by her is Such Sharp Teeth. And she had like in that one, there's two sisters and they have a very good like sisterly vibe. There's lots of friendship in there. Um, but then she may or may not be turning into a werewolf. So oh, okay, yeah, I'm here for it. <laughs> so yeah, it was very interesting. 
Before we jump into our favorites, I asked on Instagram for you to share your favorites and here are the results. So it's kind of funny, some of the ones that are on here. So we have None of This is True by Lisa Jewell, The House Across the Lake by Riley Saker, The Downstairs Girl by Stacy Lee, The Women by Kristen Hanna, which is not out yet, but it comes out soon, Fourth Wing by Rebecca Yaros, oh. <laughs> Assistant to the Villain by Hannah Nicole Mayer, Invisible Sun by Kim Johnson, Go as a River by Shelley Reed, I'm Glad My Mom Died by Jeanette McCurdy, In Five Years by Rebecca Surley. So thank you so much for sending in your submissions. I know I asked kind of late this year. I have a lot going on. Maybe I'll be better next year. But now it's time to move into our favorite reads of the year, the best books of 2023, according to me and Lauren. Um, so what we're going to do this time, we're going to do the same setup. We're going to go 5432, and then I'll do my 5432, and then we'll save our best book for the very end. Ah, uh, okay. I'm here for it. I love it. Ah, okay. Um, number five best was Vantage Point by Megan Hubrex. And when I say that this collection of essays rocked me to my bookish core, I wholeheartedly mean it. Megan Hubrex is one of my closest friends, but our friendship aside, she is one of the most, I have chills, hilarious and talented writers that I've ever read. Vantage Point consists of incredibly profound and emotional essays about the trials, the tribulations of her life. Megan is so effortlessly yet expertly. She takes the difficulties of her past and the wonderfully mundane of her present and writes about them with so much heart and so much humor. And she has been through some near death and serious ish. <laughs> Being able to turn all of that hurt into something to be celebrated is a true miracle. And these unique stories will literally leave your cheeks sore from smiling so hard and your eyes will well up with tears and these beautiful pieces of the beautiful soul leave an imprint on your soul. Oh. <laughs> I loved it too. And I saw our people were like, are you rating it five stars? Because it's Megan. I'm like, no, it's literally good. Literally. <laughs> it literally is good. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not oh. lying. You need to buy it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so good. I loved it. Um, okay. Number four is Looking for Jane by Heather Marshall. I binge read this while I was in the trenches suffering from jet lag while visiting my parents in Amsterdam this past spring, and I spent many long nights awake and alone while I adjusted to a different time zone, and it was debilitating, absolutely debilitating, but looking for Jane kept my mind sane and my bookish cup overflowing, and it was told in dual timelines, multiple points of view, and the novel is jam-packed with emotion. Writing fiction about women's reproductive rights can be a slippery slope, a plot about the underground network of tenacious women and some men who so valiantly provided safe abortions. It doesn't sound like something I would normally read. However, Marshall has so expertly crafted a novel that will leave you cheering for the heroines of the mesmerizing and captivating story. And this book is not for the vein of heart, but it will make you uncomfortable and your heart will break, but it will make your heart absolutely Soar. Number three, I chose Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. Uh, in a COVID-induced fever-stricken haze, I binge-read this book in one day. One day. <laughs> Pineapple Street nice. is a deliciously captivating, mesmerizingly sweet, and heart-soaring delight of a novel that is a family drama at its finest. The women of the Stockton family are, as Lady Gaga once sang, 
beautiful, dirty, dirty, rich. Do you know that song? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In navigating life on life's term. Well, sort of. They're sitting, they're mega wealthy and belong to the ultra elite. As we all know, life doesn't give a hoot about how many dollars are in your bank account and readers follow the Stockton women as they experience heartwarming highs, the aching breathlessness of first loves, and the despair that accompanies unexpected tragedy. And at the heart of it all is family, and family truly is everything. I I love that. I love that you have like a memory with the story too, like reading it in one day and... The best. (laughs) Yes. Okay, number two... Oh, this book. (laughs) I Could Live Here Forever by Hannah Halperin. I Could Live Here Forever is the literary trifecta. It's a book about books consisting of intricate family dynamics and a devastating love story. Leah Kempler is a young writer in a reputable MFA program, not only trying to navigate womanhood and penning the next great American novel, but also looking around some serious family trauma. The floodgates of infatuation are immediately opened after a chance encounter with a devastatingly gorgeous young man named Charlie. Unbeknownst to Leah, Charlie is a recovering heroin addict. And as a woman in recovery myself, this book left me absolutely breathless. The drug use was not obscene, but the emotional turmoil that accompanies the utter insanity of addiction rang true throughout every single page. The prose was sweet as cinnamon and thick as honey, and Halperin serves up heartache on a level that is entirely engrossing and completely captivating. And the book felt like salt in a wound and call me a masochist, but it hurts so good. (laughs) Oh, I love that. And I love that, like, you have a personal connection, so you can be like, yes, this felt, this rang true, you know. So I love that so much. Okay, so we're going to save your number one favorite. Um, But the fact that Megan's book of essays is in your top five is epic. And like I said, I loved it too. So I'm so glad we got to experience that. And we're so lucky we get to call her a friend, you know? Truly, yeah. Um, So I'm very surprised. But this year, I said that I read the most thrillers. But I have three romance books in my top five this year. And like I said before, if you don't know my number one by now, I don't know what to say. I've mentioned it at least a dozen times and you'll find out at the very end. But coming in at number five, and I actually had trouble like organizing these romance because I'm like on a given day, maybe this is a little bit better. So just take these, you know, romance with a grain of salt, like they're they're in the top five. Okay. <laughs> um, Number five is the seven year slip by Ashley Poston. Ah! Oh, An overworked book publicist with a perfectly planned future hits a snag when she falls in love with her temporary roommate only to discover he lives seven years in the past. This is a must read if you enjoy The Dead Romantics or if you enjoy the movie The Lake House starring Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. I typically do not enjoy magical realism in books, but Poston writes it in such a fantastic way that I immediately fall in love with it. I'm on board. Her characters, especially the male leads, are some of my all-time favorite characters. And I thought that The Dead Romantics was more of a contemporary story with romantic elements, but The Seven Year Slip is a straight-up romance. And I loved Clementine's aunt 
too. She felt like such a good role model and I loved the memories and the stories about her. Like she would give her advice and stuff and I was just like, oh my gosh, I just loved it. Um, there were also just so many like life lessons and great quotes and good descriptions that everything felt so beautifully written and carefully crafted. And I highly recommend you have some lemon pie on hand when you read this. You're going to need it. <laughs> I want to reread it after you just talked about it. I know. So. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, okay. Number four. This is a recent read. I read it this month in December. Love Redesigned by Lauren Asher. And I loved this book from the start. It has a great cover. It has a playlist. It has a content warnings page. It has a map. The dedication was great. It also has footnotes to define all the Spanish terms. And it's dual POV, which I love in my romance books. Um, it's only the second book that I've read by Lauren Asher. I read Fine Print, but that book didn't grip me like this one did. So I haven't continued in that series yet. But now that I've read Love Redesigned, I definitely want to go back and read books two and three in that series before this second book comes out in this series. There is some crossover of characters and I just want to experience all of it. Love Redesigned is a steamy small town romance about two family friends turned childhood rivals. Dahlia is returning home after a broken engagement and Julian's mom suggests he distract her by helping her find her creative spark. As a result, the two combine their renovation powers to restore a historic home. As the two start spending more time together and understanding and clarity about the past makes way for these two to finally give love a shot. It's equal parts emotional and hilarious with lots of squealing and swooning thrown in. This is for the readers who like open door steamy scenes. Just putting that out there. Um, number three, I have to give it to When in Rome by Sarah Adams, which I did not predict except for when I started reading it. As soon as I started reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, I know this is going to be my favorites because I was just like, ah, like I get the chills just thinking about it. It is so sweet. It had me grinning and giggling from start to finish. I was actually reading this live on Reading Sprints on my French channel on YouTube live for the whole world to see. And I could not stop laughing and grinning and giggling. And everybody was like, when are you okay? And I was like, this is just so cute. So this one is about Amelia Rose, also known as Ray Rose. She's burnt out and she needs a break. Unfortunately, it's not easy for a famous pop star to go into hiding and get an actual break. So she takes inspiration from her favorite movie star, Audrey Hepburn, and heads to Rome. Rome, Kentucky, that is. It's there that she finds herself broken down and stranded in the front yard of Noah, the town's baker. Where does his muscles come from? Bacon pies. Like, ah, can you even? He graciously gives her a place to stay while her car is repaired and the two begin falling in love. Just like in Roman Holiday, though, Ray must return to her regular life in the public eye. So how are they going to navigate their feelings? Is there a happily ever after for them? I can't recommend this book enough. If you like small town Hallmark rom-coms, then you must pick this book up immediately. Amelia, Noah, and the Town of Rome are something special. Number two is also a book I have talked so much about, The Collected Regrets of Clover by Miki Bramer. 
oh, this book, oh, this one just has my whole heart. I went in with zero expectations. It's a debut. So I had no idea. Like I didn't even really know what it was about. In fact, when it was book of the month's pick, I skipped it. I had no interest. And then I started hearing really good things. And I found it at a local like used bookstore and I picked it up. Thank goodness. Here it is at number two. So for this one, it says, what's the point of giving someone a beautiful death if you can't give yourself a beautiful life? From the day she watched her kindergarten teacher drop dead during a dramatic telling of Peter Rabbit, Clover Brooks has felt a strong connection with the dying than she has the living. After the beloved grandfather who raised her dies while she is traveling, Clover becomes a death doula in New York City, dedicating her life to ushering people peacefully through their end of the life process. This book got me all up in my feelings. It's a new all-time favorite, not just this year. I'm talking all-time favorite. Not only did it teach me something, but it made me contemplate my own life, my own decisions, um, the people in my life, the decisions I'm making, my path forward, you know, um, like I said, I just want to enjoy every moment of my life while I can and enjoy my loved ones and appreciate my life. And it really made me appreciate the journey that I've taken so far to get to where I am it made me think about my granddad and how fun he was and how he would want me to be living my life full of fun and adventure. And it honestly taught me so much about life from the perspective of a death doula. And I just I loved every single character, um, maybe one in particular, a little less, but no spoilers. Um, but they served their purpose, you know, um, it made me yearn for a smaller, more purposeful life surrounded by people I love and care about. It made me cry more than once. And I know that I will be thinking about this book for a very long time. It definitely made an impact on me. Ooh, it's time for our favorite, favorite, favorite book of the year. Oh my goodness. So when you picked up your favorite book of the year, were you expecting to like love it or what were you thinking? Um, I gave into books to hype. Uh, okay. It's all over Bookstagram and it, it was, it's my number one, one of my all time faves and I, I can't thank Bookstagram enough. Yay. All right. Let us know what is your favorite book of 2023? My number one book is Tom Lake by Ann Patchett and fun fact, I have DNF'd two of Ann Patchett's books in the past, but Tom Lake absolutely stole my heart. It ripped it out of my chest. It is gone. <laughs> this novel is a multi-layered family drama that explores themes of motherhood, sisterhood, coming of age, big first loves, and even bigger second loves. Okay, picture this. The Nelson family working their tushies off in the family cherry orchard during the 2020 lockdown. The lovely matriarch, Lara, is soaking up this precious time with her darling adult daughters and each different yet lovely in their own way. The days may feel lazy in the delicious swell of summer heat, but they work, 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 and Lara tell, tell, tells the incredible story of her past involving a summer romance with a famous actor many, many moons ago. And the way that these stories all came together in the end was quite simply put, perfection, I'm still mourning having said goodbye to the characters and the cherry orchard. <laughs> oh my goodness. I actually went to her bookstore 
um, over the summer in Nashville. It was oh pretty incredible. That book was everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you have. To, it's so good. It, give it a shot if you can. It's yeah, it's really good. <laughs> awesome, awesome. I've never read anything by her, so if I this, do, that will be the one I pick up. Please let it be the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so now it's time for my favorite book. My favorite book of 2023 is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zivin. And this book, you guys, wow, I just, you know, when someone asks you, like, what's your favorite book? Well, my answer used to be The Giver by Lois Lowry. And it's been that book for a while. Like that book came out a while ago. But Tomorrow, Tomorrow, and Tomorrow has secured itself as my new favorite book of all time. So I read it in May and I immediately reread it <gasps> because I was not going to be able to like read anything else <laughs> until I reread it and kind of got the story through out of my head a little bit, you know. Um, and I know this is a popular book and I know it has a very high average rating. It won the book of the month, book of the year in 2022 and the Goodreads Choice Award for Fiction in 2022. So people know it's a good book, but let me be the one to tell you that this book is so damn good. Like change your life good. I definitely did not go into it thinking that I would feel the way I would about this book. And if you enjoy happy books, this is not it. Turn away, <laughs> close the chapter, move away, because this is not a happy book. I love it so much. Like I said, I read it back to back, and I want to read it again really, really soon. Um, in this story, two friends come together as creative partners in the world of video game design, which also, I love video games, but it got me thinking, when it was originally picked for a book of the month pick, I skipped it. Same thing I did with the, the collected regrets. I skipped it initially. So it wasn't until it was the book of the year choice that I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. <laughs> and it sat around until like May. And then I was finally like, okay, let me get through my book of the months. Like, let me go ahead and read this. Even though I've read another book by Gabrielle Zivin and loved it. Um, the Storied Life of A.J. Fickery. Loved that. Gave it five stars. But this was just Excellent. Okay, so their success brings them fame, joy, tragedy, duplicity, and ultimately a kind of immortality. This book is a mix of things I usually detest. So this is why it's so odd that this is like my new favorite book of all time. It's character driven. If there's not a plot, I'm usually not about it. I'm like, give me a plot or give me death, you know, but it's character driven. It follows the main characters for 30 years, which I usually don't like. I don't like a long spanning, you know, time. It's kind of like a slice of life story of these two people meeting, becoming friends, and then later during college, becoming creative partners in the world of video game design. I usually don't like slice of life stories, but I love this one. Um, also, somehow the unsatisfying ending <laughs> is what made it so perfect for me. Um... A lot of people be like, it was the perfect, you know, but it wasn't the perfect ending, in my opinion, but it made it perfect for this book, you know, and I was just like, oh, I got to immediately read it again. So if you have somehow not read Tomorrow, Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zivin, and you don't mind sadness in your books, you need to get on it. You need to get on it. So there you have it. The best and worst books of the year. 
But before we go, Lauren, do you have your first book of 2024 picked out yet? Uh, yes, I do. I went to the Barnes & Noble annual sale yesterday. Thank you so much. Yay. And I found a copy of The Heiress by Rachel Hawkins out two weeks early. So oh I will my be, gosh. Yes, binge reading it on New Year's Day. Awesome. <laughs> that was a score. Big time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just went today. They did not have that out at my store. <laughs> Rats. <laughs> I know. Um, but I do love that Barnes & Noble sale at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets all those books that you want to get. So as I said earlier, I always start the year with a reread. And this year, I'm going to go with The Collected Regrets of Clover by Mika Bramer. I chose this one because I had no expectations going into the book because it's a debut, but it has so many great quotes about life and I cried multiple times and I think it will make a good read for the beginning of the year because it makes you think about the people and places and things that are truly important to you and sometimes we all need that reminder. So I plan on annotating the heck out of this book, this go round. Um, And if you'd like to know my full top 10 best and worst, check me out on YouTube on my main channel, Gwendolyn Kinsinger. Other than that, I'll be back in two weeks with my friend Amy to award the 2023 bookish superlatives. This episode was so much fun. I love how you describe books. (laughs) So thanks for joining me today, Lauren. I hope 2024 brings lots of five-star reads and good vibes and fun times for your book club. Thank you so much for having me, Gwen. It's been so nostalgic revisiting my best and my worst books with you. And I can't wait to see what the new year has in store for the Rovers. And I wish you all the five stars. Talk Focus to Me is a bi-weekly podcast bringing you book discussions, recommendations, and literary topics galore. Follow me on Instagram at TalkBookishPodcast. Rate and review the podcast on Apple and Spotify. The link for Patreon is in the show notes, along with links for Lauren's social media and book club. Definitely go check her out. Until next time, happy reading!